So, it's apparently terrible to tell millennials to save their money or invest their money these days. On Monday, news broke worldwide that an Australian real estate developer, Tim Gurner, had explained that one of the secrets to financial success was saving and investing rather than spending. Quote, When I was buying my first home, I wasn't buying smashed avocado for 19 bucks and four coffees at $4 each, Gurner explained. We're at a point now where the expectations of younger people are very, very high. They want to eat out every day. They want to travel to Europe every year. I think until this generation realizes that the people that own homes today work very, very hard for it, saved every dollar, did everything they could to get up the property ladder, they won't get ahead. You might have to buy an investment property first. You might have to share with mom or dad. You might have to buy with a friend. But you've got to get your foot in the door and you've got to slowly get up the ladder. This was apparently a terrible thing to say. Never come between a millennial and her avocado toast. But obviously, Gurner was talking about the choice by some young people to spend repeatedly on lifestyle rather than saving. He didn't restrict his comments to the rather silly example of avocado toast. He talked about European vacations, too, which are a little bit more expensive. Naturally, to avoid the implications of Gurner's correct statement, the New York Times fact-checked him. They wrote, quote, the truth is, even if millennials assumed the eating out habits of baby boomers, it would take around 113 years before they could afford a down payment on a home. Assuming a 20% down payment on the median price for a home in the U.S., $315,000 in March 2017, and a 1% yearly yield rate. The average price of a single avocado in March was $125, according to the Haas Avocado Board. One Twitter user, Nora Biet Timmons, calculated that a serving of avocado toast cost her about $165, or one, one, 477, 896,000th, the average price of a home in in Brooklyn. But does the New York Times have any decent advice for millennials other than snarking about avocados? Of course not. Here is the fact. Everybody is spending more now, but millennials cannot afford to do so because they are younger and poorer. While the New York Times acknowledges that all generations of Americans are eating out more, for example, it fails to evaluate whether younger people can afford to do so in the way older people can. When we were younger, my wife and I didn't eat out nearly as much as we do now. We also had a lot less money. Overall, young people are racking up debt much faster these days. Here's ABC News from several years ago. Quote, the percentage of students holding at least one credit card in 2001 rose 24% since 1998, according to the latest figures from student loan provider Nellie May. The median debt level among card-carrying undergrads rose to $1,770 in 2001 from $1,236 in 2000, an indicator that more students are using their cards regularly and may not be paying off the balances each month. Here's CNBC from 2015. More than half of millennials, people aged 18 to 34, reported a credit score below 670. Millennials are even turning to payday loans and pawn shops to put cash in the bank. Millennials aren't getting married or buying homes thanks to costs, and they're not putting money in the stock market, but they are spending money on travel. Some millennial money trouble comes from the global financial downturn, of course, but to neglect personal decision-making in terms of investing is a mistake. Why wouldn't investors tell kids to save up? because it might hurt their feelings and suggest that they have agency in their own lives. When I told a group of students in a downtrodden public school, Ote Ranch High School, that in a free country like America, permanent poverty is a function of making poor financial decisions, the high school principal actually dismissed the students, telling me that too many of their parents were impoverished and thus might feel insulted. The problem here isn't loose talk about avocado toast. It's that people don't want to hear the truth. Their lives are in their hands, and if they don't like their financial situations, perhaps they should start by examining their own decisions. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. All righty, another day, another quasi-scandal. We'll talk about two big stories, one from the right and one from the left, that everybody seems to be buying into and what is true and what is not. Before we do, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Bull & Branch. So, Bull & Branch sheets are the best sheets that you can buy on the market. They are fantastic. I bought Bull & Branch sheets on my own after I got my complimentary set, and the fact is that they are so good that I cannot sleep on any other sheets now. That's why I bought more sets of Bull & Branch sheets. They are so comfortable. They're basically made from the finest material, 
I don't know anything about thread count. I don't know anything about what makes a sheet great other than what feels good to me. And I can tell you that Bull & Branch sheets feel the best of any sheets I've ever used. You use promo code Ben at BullAndBranch.com. You get $50 off your first set of sheets plus free shipping. You are going to sleep better on Bull & Branch sheets. I know because I do, and I am not a good sleeper. Again, it's B-O-L-L and Branch.com. Promo code Ben. They are made, they're ethically made also, so that means that they're, they're made with, you know, by, they're not made in some sweatshop somewhere. Uh, they are super duper comfortable, and they are much more affordable than you think. And when you think about the fact that you're going to be sleeping on these every night, you have to understand that uh, a little bit of cost goes a long way. The kinds of sheets that they sell normally would retail for like $1,000. They are not $1,000. A couple hundred bucks will get you a set of Bull & Branch sheets. 50 bucks off your first set of sheets, plus free shipping when you go to bullandbranch.com and use that promo code BEN. It's 100% organic cotton, fantastic product. bullandbranch.com, promo code BEN. Let them know that we sent you and get 50 bucks off your first set of sheets, plus that free shipping. Okay, so the big story of the day. There are two big stories of the day, one from the right and one from the left, and I want to discuss them both in detail. I'm going to start with the one from the right because I think that there's more to talk about in the one from the left. That's the one that's leading all the newspapers. So the one from the right that is being pumped by Fox News, it's being pumped by Drudge, it's being pumped by Breitbart News today, is this story about a guy named Seth Rich. So Seth Rich is a former, was a former member of the DNC. He was a guy who worked at the DNC, and he was shot uh, back in uh, during the middle of the election cycle. He was killed on the street, and there was a lot of suspicion about that because, well, the police had been investigating it as an armed robbery gone wrong. Uh, nothing was stolen. He had like a $2,000 necklace on him. His wallet was left on him, and so there were a lot of accusations that this was actually an assassination. So last night, Fox DC5 reports that a private investigator named Rod Wheeler had revealed that his investigation into the murder of DNC staffer Rich, quote, shows there was some degree of email exchange between Seth Rich and WikiLeaks. I do believe the answers to murder, who murdered Seth Rich, sits on his computer on a shelf at the D.C. police or FBI headquarters. So the accusation here is that the WikiLeaks group was actually getting the DNC emails, not from the Russians, but from an insider at the DNC, that the DNC was basically, they had a mole, and the mole was very upset about Bernie Sanders losing, and so he was sending all sorts of information, thousands upon thousands of emails to WikiLeaks, and then he was shot over it, presumably by somebody associated with the DNC or the Hillary Clinton campaign, is what the right would have you believe, uh, or at least the conspiratorial right would have you believe. It would also debunk a lot of the stories about how Russia was the one hacking the DNC. It would turn out that it was an inside job from somebody who was presumably just a Bernie Sanders supporter. It would be more of an Edward Snowden situation, uh, not necessarily a spy situation, which would change a lot of the Trump-Russia talk. Fox News has now reported that an anonymous federal investigator said 44,053 emails and 17,761 attachments between DNC committee leaders spanning January 2015 through late May 2016 were transferred from Rich to the director of WikiLeaks, Gavin McFadden, uh, who's also recently deceased. Uh, they say the anonymous federal investigator had said this. So we have an anonymous source saying something. Well, the family has denied these reports and slammed Wheeler for violating confidentiality. Basically, they released a statement uh, that, that says that there is no evidence and no email suggesting WikiLeaks links. Uh, their statement says, as we've seen through the past year of unsubstantiated claims, we've seen no facts, we've seen no evidence, we've been approached with no emails, and only learned about this when contacted by the press. Even if tomorrow an email was found, it is not high enough bar of evidence to prove any interactions, as emails can be altered, and we've seen that those interested in pushing conspiracies will stop at nothing to do so. We are a family who is committed to facts, not fake evidence, that surfaces every few months to fill the void and distract law enforcement and the general public from finding Seth's murderers. The 
services of the private investigator who spoke to press was offered to the Rich family and paid for by a third party and contractually was barred from speaking to press or anyone outside of law enforcement or the family unless explicitly authorized by the family. So here is the bottom line on this particular story. We just don't know enough at this point. We don't know. The family obviously is saying they don't believe this. Uh, The FBI has not released a statement on any of this. The D.C. police denies all of this. With all of that said, people are jumping onto the anonymous sourcing here, uh, and they are jumping onto this this PI, this private investigator who has a bit of a sketchy history. They're jumping on this to basically suggest that this is the big scandal of the day, is that Seth Rich was murdered because he was sending DNC emails to WikiLeaks. So here's the bottom line. Not enough evidence to say one way or another. Not enough evidence to say one way or another. We still don't know who did the murder. Uh, we know that the family objects to this. We know that the PI is shaky, and the FBI has not released a statement when more information comes out, then we can make a judgment. Unfortunately, people aren't waiting to make a judgment. They're just jumping on it. And this shows, I think, that confirmation bias has absolutely seeped into every aspect of news coverage. Right now, people are seeing a story. They're deciding whether they like the story or not, and then they're believing it based on whether they like it or not. They're seeing a story that's filled with anonymous sources, like this anonymous FBI guy, and they're deciding whether they like the anonymous source based on what the anonymous source is saying. They're looking at a story like this, and they're saying, well, Sure, the family says that this was leaked in violation of confidentiality, but leaks are okay because we think it's an important story. So now flip the script, and we're going to talk about the story from the left. Okay, so the Washington Post reports last night that President Trump, during that meeting with the Russians that we talked about last week, the day after he fires FBI Director James Comey, the Washington Post reports that he has this meeting with Sergei Kislyak, who's the ambassador from Russia and who is a spy master by pretty much every available piece of information, as well as the foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov. He has this meeting behind closed doors. There are no American press people at this meeting. It's just the Russians who are there and Russian press coverage, apparently. And according to the Washington Post, he revealed, quote, highly classified information to the Russian foreign minister and ambassador in a White House meeting last week, according to current and former U.S. officials who said Trump's disclosures jeopardized a critical source of intelligence on the Islamic State. The information the president relayed had been provided by a U.S. partner through an intelligence sharing arrangement considered so sensitive that details have been withheld from allies and tightly restricted even within the U.S. government, said officials. The partner had not given the United States permission to share the material with Russia, and officials said Trump's decision to do so in dangerous cooperation from an ally that has access to the inner workings of the Islamic State. After Trump's meeting, senior White House officials took steps to contain the damage, placing calls to the CIA and the National Security Agency. This is code word information, said a U.S. official familiar with the matter, using terminology that refers to one of the highest classification levels used by American spy agencies. Uh, The Washington Post, by the way, says that they have the information, but they are not going to print the information because it would be unsafe to print the information. They say the Post is withholding most plot details including the name of the city that apparently Trump mentioned, at the urging of officials who warned that revealing them would jeopardize important intelligence capabilities. So the story is basically that there are a couple of anonymous sources inside the Trump White House who leaked that Trump had revealed highly classified information to the Russians. So a couple things out of the way, first and foremost. One, even if Trump did that, it's not criminal, okay? The president gets to decide what's classified and what's not classified. Article 2 of the Constitution says nothing about classification standards have not being impacted by the president. The president can decide to declassify things as fast as the president wants, so Trump didn't do anything criminal. That said, if the Democrats decide or if the Republicans decide, Congress can impeach for stuff that's not criminal. So this is still not great stuff. I mean, just because the president did something legal doesn't mean it's something good. 
Point number two. Yes, Democrats are hypocrites when it comes to leaks. The Democrats leaked all the time. Uh, They leaked classified information to our enemies on a routine basis. In 2011, for example, this did not get a lot of attention, even though it's a big story. In 2011, Joe Biden and the vice president revealed that it was SEAL Team 6 that had killed Osama bin Laden. And there were members of SEAL Team 6 families who felt that he had put a target on their back by revealing this information publicly. Uh, Let me briefly acknowledge tonight's distinguished honorees. Admiral Jim Stavridis is a... uh, is uh, the real deal. He could tell you more about and understands the incredible, the phenomenal, the just almost unbelievable capacity of his Navy SEALs and what they did uh, last, last Sunday. Okay, so and there he was, you know, spilling classified information, and it ended up actually being quite tragic because SEAL teams were then targeted uh, by al-Qaeda, apparently, but that was not a big scandal on the left or among the media. Obviously, the Obama administration also leaked information from our allies repeatedly, particularly from Israel. They leaked information over and over and over about Israeli plans to strike the Iranian nuclear facilities in an attempt to stop Israel from doing all of that. So those two points out of the way. One, it's not criminal. Two, the Obama administration did stuff like this all the time. It is still bad. It's still a really bad thing. If the president of the United States cannot be trusted with classified information, if he's just going out there and saying things to people openly because he's got an ego problem, which is supposedly what happened, you got a problem. So... Apparently, what what happened is that when Trump described measures the U.S. has taken or is contemplating to counter the threat of ISIS, including military operations in Iraq and Syria, as well as other steps to tighten security, Trump cast the countermeasures in wistful terms. He said, can you believe the world we live in today? Isn't it crazy? So he was just supposedly showing off. Now, here is the problem. Okay, so the, the White House denies the story. But there are a couple of different types of denial. So Dina Powell, who's the deputy national security advisor, she denies the story wholesale. She says, none of this ever happened. None of this ever happened. And then H.R. McMaster, who is the national security advisor, who has a high level of trust with conservatives, as well he should, he comes out and he gives a statement, a 60-second statement last night without taking any questions. And here's what he said last night about this Washington Post story. There's nothing that the president takes more seriously than the, the security of the American people. The story that came out tonight, as reported, is false. The president and the foreign minister reviewed a range of common threats to our two countries, including threats to civil aviation. At no time, at no time, were intelligence sources or methods discussed. And the president did not disclose any military operations that were not already publicly known. Two other senior officials who were present, including the secretary of state, remember the meeting the same way and have said so. They're on the record account should outweigh those of anonymous sources. And I, I was in the room. It didn't happen. Thanks, everybody. Okay, I was in the room. It didn't happen. Now, the question has become, what does it mean? Because the fact is that what H.R. McMaster is saying here is sort of a denial. Like, I just want to be exact about this. It's sort of a denial, and it's sort of not. Okay, so it's a denial of things that the Washington Post never claimed. So the Washington Post never claimed that Trump had revealed intelligence sources or methods. What the Washington Post claimed is that Trump had said something about a particular city where there was an ISIS operation taking place, and the fact that we knew about it endangered one of our sources. That's basically the Washington Post claim. McMaster is denying something the Washington Post never claimed there. This morning, H.R. McMaster came out, and he said something different, which we'll get to in just one second. But first, I want to say thank you to our sponsors over at Legacy Box. So if you are if you are worried about preserving your lifetime memories, and you should be, because the fact is if they're moldering in, in a cardboard box somewhere in the back of your garage, 
And it's possible that bugs can get in there, rats can get in there, they degrade over time, uh, it can be a flood. Bottom line, you're never going to pull them out anyway because they're on old film reels. That's what Legacy Box is for. So you take all those old memories, all the pictures, all of the film reels, all of the tapes, and you send them into LegacyBox.com. And Legacy Box puts them all on a DVD or a thumb drive so that you can access those memories anytime you want. You load Legacy Box. It's a natural box with your old tapes, film, pictures, audio recordings, and you send it back to them. They put... They put barcodes on every piece of, of information you send to them so you can track it throughout the process. They send them back to you in a couple of weeks on DVD or on a thumb drive. They take care of everything. Everything is safe. They provide updates every step of the process. Of a quarter million families have used LegacyBox.com. Right now, if you go to LegacyBox.com slash Ben, you get 40% discount on your order. Again, go to LegacyBox.com slash Ben. You get a 40% discount on your order. There's nothing that's more important than preserving those memories, and it'll also make it easier if, God forbid, something happens to your house. All you have to do is grab the thumb drive. You don't even have to you can upload it to your computer. All you have to do is grab something small instead of trying to schlep boxes out in the middle of an earthquake. Legacybox.com slash Ben. This is something you're definitely going to want to do. It makes a great Mother's Day or Father's Day gift for sure. 40% discount on your order when you use Legacybox.com slash Ben. So McMaster goes out there. He denies it, sort of. Dina Powell denies it completely. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson echoes McMaster's statement. And then... President Trump, who just cannot help himself, he just cannot help himself, he gets up this morning and he goes on Twitter and he tweets, as president, I wanted to share with Russia at an openly scheduled White House meeting, which I have the absolute right to do, facts pertaining to terrorism and airline flight safety, humanitarian reasons, plus I want Russia to greatly step up their fight against ISIS and terrorism. So he had his entire team go out there and say it never happened. And then he goes out there and he says it happened, but it's okay that I did it. Okay, that's not the same case. That's not the same case. And that's open to debate because we don't know what the information is. So how are we ever supposed to confirm or deny that what he said was okay to say? We have no way of knowing that. If it really was okay, then presumably the White House could do something very easy. They could just release the transcript of the conversation, which they have. McMaster came out this morning and he said, yeah, Trump said something, but none of us found it objectionable. It wasn't really a big deal. McMaster said the president was not even aware of where the information came from. He wasn't briefed on the source and method. So he couldn't have revealed the source and method. Okay, well, but that wasn't the claim. I mean, the claim was not that he was briefed on the source and method or that he revealed the source and method. The claim was that he revealed confidential information, classified information that could actually put somebody in the line of fire. That was essentially what he what, what the claim was. And McMaster is now saying, and Trump is now saying, that it's not a big deal what he revealed. Okay, but there are two problems with this. One, that's subjective. So it's possible that our allies could look at that and they could say, well, he may not think it's a problem, but I think it's a problem. I'm never giving Trump classified information again. There was a report from earlier this year that the Israelis had stopped giving Trump classified information because they were afraid that Trump was just going to spill it on the record somewhere. So there's that. There's also the problem with, okay, well, if it really was not that big a deal, why don't you just declassify it? And why don't you just release the conversation? Again, why is any of this a big deal? Because it goes to character. And President Trump is having a problem of character inside his administration. He's having a problem of character inside his administration, and he's undermining people inside his administration whose credibility he needs to uphold. He needs to uphold McMaster's credibility, and it doesn't look good when McMaster comes out last night, says the story is false, and then the next day comes back and says, well, I really said that most of the story was false, you know, the parts that weren't there, but it's kind of true, but it's not a big deal. This is the same thing that happened last week, if you recall, all the way back to last week. My God, time just has stopped moving. Last week, the President of the United States trotted out half his administration, including Vice President Pence, to say that all of this that was going on with FBI Director Comey had been spurred by the Deputy Attorney General sending a letter. And then two days later, he went on national news and he said, no, 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 I was going to do it anyway. It had nothing to do with that. After his entire press team had gone out there and blamed it on Rod Rosenstein. 
So the big problem here is Trump. The big problem here is Trump. And the reason that this is a problem is because if you don't have credibility with the American people, then you're going to have a hard time pushing legislation. You're going to have a hard time wooing allies. You're going to have a hard time doing the things the president actually needs to do. You're also going to be undercutting your case for how, cl- how careful you are about classified information. So, I mean, the, the left is having a field day with this, of course, and you knew they were. It doesn't make them not dishonest. They are dishonest. But the left is having a field day. The point here is that the left is going to be the left. You knew they were going to be the left. Okay, are, are you going to be the one who decides to step on every rake in a, in a 100-mile radius? It's just foolish. You know, Trump spent half of this campaign talking about how Hillary had not protected classified information. Here's a montage of, of Trump talking about it over and over and over again. The Secretary of State was extremely careless and negligent in handling our classified secrets. She lied about passing on classified information, right? In my administration, I'm going to enforce all laws concerning the protection of classified information. She said she said nothing more classified. A total lie. We can't have someone in the Oval Office who doesn't understand the meaning of the word confidential or classified. Okay, again, you, you spend the entire campaign saying this and then you undercut your own case because you can't stay off Twitter and because you can't keep your mouth shut. It's a problem of character, and that does have ramifications. Now, I could sit here and make everybody happy today by just bashing the left, and that's very easy to do. But here's the problem. The same people on the right who are buying the Seth Rich story hook, line, and sinker, which we don't have verified yet, are saying this is all fake news now, even though Trump has already sort of confirmed it. And conversely, people on the left who are dismissing the Seth Rich stuff are immediately buying everything about this story before anything has sort of been confirmed. The confirmation bias in the news is extraordinarily strong. There's more information that the Washington Post story is true at this point because Trump has quasi-confirmed it and so is McMaster than there is that the Seth Rich story is true. But I would just like to point out the inconsistency that everybody seems to be suffering from in evaluating these stories. Anonymous sources are anonymous sources until there's confirmation. Leaks are bad. Leaks are really bad. But the leak is not actually the story, and you don't get to say that the leak is the big story if you spent the entire campaign saying that WikiLeaks was not the story, it was the content of the WikiLeaks that actually mattered. This is really not good stuff. But I want to talk a little bit more about how Trump can fix this, because it's actually really easy to fix if he would just listen and stop. It's easy to fix. And we'll talk about democratic overreach, plus we have to deconstruct some culture. But for this, listen, guys, you know, I wish every day I could come on here and talk about the great stuff Trump is doing, but he needs to do good things in order for me to talk about it. So... Again, I just hope and pray that he does. For the rest of the podcast, go over to dailywire.com. $8 a month, get to a subscription to Daily Wire. If you want an annual subscription, then you can get a free copy of The Arroyo, fictional film set on our southern border about a rancher trying to defend his land from drug cartels using his land as a thoroughfare. Really good movie. Uh, it's, it's, so get that annual subscription, or $8 a month gets you the normal subscription at dailywire.com. You can be part of the mailbag in a couple of days, and we'll answer all your questions. Or if you just want to listen later, head over to iTunes or SoundCloud, and make sure you subscribe and, uh, and download and leave us a review. We always appreciate it. We are the number one conservative podcast in America. Okay, so again, now the, the conversation, I mean, this is happening in real time. We're covering it as it happens. The conversation now is, was what Trump said actually dangerous? Did he say anything actually dangerous? And that begs another question. Even if he didn't say anything dangerous, is there a risk that he's going to say dangerous stuff just because he's a big mouth? And that's a debate that's going to rage. We're not going to know the answer to all of this. And there is another question that has to be asked that Charles Cook is asking today, which is that, it's unclear exactly what Trump knew at any point here, 
right? Well, what exactly happened at any point here? So it's th- th- this is really, um, again, it's a mess. It's a mess. And it's a mess because the White House wants to focus on leaks and not the content of leaks. Precisely the opposite of what the Democrats were doing during the campaign. They wanted to focus on WikiLeaks and not the content of the WikiLeaks. Both are important. Leaks are bad. The content of the leaks matters. And uh, it's it's... Hard to talk about how leaking is terrible when the president of the United States is the one declassifying information in secret meetings with the Russians. Again, it just, he needs to be better at this. How does he fix this? He fixes this very easily. He shuts up. He does his job. He nominates a good FBI director to put this Comey thing to bed. And then he just lets H.R. McMaster and General Mattis do their jobs. He doesn't hold meetings with foreign ambassadors that he didn't have to hold. Again, the Secretary of State Tillerson could have done it. And he just... but. What we have to get over in order for this to happen is this weird perception that Trump is some sort of godlike genius who knows every step along the way, and this is all 8D chess, MAGA, 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 okay? It's not 8D chess, MAGA, MAGA, MAGA. It's confusion, it's chaos, and it needs to stop. And the reason it needs to stop is we are now, what's the date today, guys? It's May 16th? It's May 16th, okay? The fact is that, you know, when reconciliation ends in June, okay? Budget reconciliation, which is the process for this year by which... The, by, by which Republicans can pass a bill basically repealing parts of Obamacare with 51 votes, that ends in the middle of June. Okay, so we are running out of time now. We are now the, the House Appropriations Committee basically has to report all of this stuff by the middle of June. We're running out of time, and nothing is moving forward. Remember, it was just two weeks ago that Trump was triumphantly meeting on the White House lawn to talk about how the House was pushing through the American Health Care Act. Now it's completely stalled. Mitch McConnell came out and did what Mitch McConnell does today. He came out and he said that we are not going to be pushing a tax reform bill until the end of the year, if at all. Uh, maybe it'll have to wait till next year. It's, it's all, everything is being stalled, but at least Trump's tweeting, right? Maybe if Trump would just get down to business, all of this would be better. And this demonstrates, it does demonstrate, that character does matter. Character does matter in the president. And there was this bizarre notion during the, during the campaign uh, by a lot of people on the right that character no longer mattered, that if Bill Clinton could be a good president and have no character, then Donald Trump could be a good president and have no character. There are differences, however, in character shortcomings. Bill Clinton had successfully, quasi-successfully run a state, Arkansas. Uh, Bill Clinton's character shortcomings are not the same as Donald Trump's character shortcomings. For example, Bill Clinton is a policy wonk who actually cares about ideas. Donald Trump is not a policy wonk. Uh, Bill Clinton is, uh, is a narcissist. And that narcissism leads him to compromise on policy. Trump is a narcissist, but he's a narcissist who's, who's, who mainly gets his back up and refuses to back down on anything. These are different character flaws, and they have different ramifications. I think that a lot of people have have covered for the fact that Trump may not be fundamentally qualified to do this job well through a series of of ways of convincing themselves that he is actually a godlike genius. Part of that, I think, is that here on the right, we believe in in meritocracy in American business. We believe if you rise to the top of the business world, then you can't be a dum-dum. You have to be a smart guy. You have to be a capable guy. But that doesn't hold true in the entertainment world. And the truth is that Trump was mostly successful in being an entertainer, not in being a real estate magnate. Uh, I know that that's unpopular to say. A lot of what I'm saying today is unpopular to say. But all of this just says that what we have here now is what they call in business school the law of the lid. In business school, the law of the lid means that if you have somebody who runs a company who's a C-level player, the company is never going to be an A-level company. It will always be a C-level company. What that suggests is that Donald Trump would be better off putting his administration in the hands of people who know what they're doing so that we can avoid all of this, or he's going to have to get better at this. And humoring him all along the way is not going to make these things better. It's not going to make these things better. I mean, Sean Hannity, who I love as a human being, but Sean has become uh, you know, very sycophantic, obviously, toward President Trump. Here's what, here was his take on, on this 
Washington Post story last night. So if you're in the White House and you're doing this, if you're not there to serve your country and all you're doing is hurting the country, well, then you might want to get out of the way. He's talking about the leakers, obviously. So on the right, it's all leaks this and leaks that. And it's very important to, to leak and leak and leak and leak. Again, what's important now is that if Trump wants to get the leaks under control, all he has to do is not be responsible for stupid things. And then the leaks sort of go away. Because the fact is that stupidity can be overcome, but reckless incompetence cannot. Charles Krauthammer said that the only implication here is really that Trump doesn't know what he's doing, that he's unschooled. I agree with this in the main, but that sort of stuff does have ramifications. What clearly happened here, what seems to be the implication of this story, is that an ally might have been sort of re revealed to have, let's assume, some kind of asset inside of ISIS. Sometimes it can take years to plant an asset such as that. In the operation I mentioned in Yemen years ago, it had taken years, and it was the, the, the end of a successful operation. I don't think anybody is talking about illegalities. The president has the right to declassify anything, anytime he wants. Not a question of did he act illegally, is it, was it unwisely? And one, of all the probabilities, the idea that he was acting as a Manchurian candidate, feeding information to his Russian operatives uh, and controllers is ridiculous. The only implication here is that he's unschooled. This is his first go around with sensitive information. And he might have slipped up. If he did, it's not good. On the other hand, it's, if it's not deliberate, it's not exactly a high crime and misdemeanor. But okay, and all, that's, all that is true, but it does not speak well to the future of the presidency. Again, I want to get past all of this, too. I want to leave all this in the rearview mirror, but he needs to stop doing silly things. Another example of the silly thing, Sean Spicer, comes out yesterday, and he's asked again about, does Donald Trump have tapes of his conversations with James Comey? And again, because Trump wants to be taken literally, Spicer ducks the question. It's just silly. Is the White House intending to cooperate with those requests and furnish that information as requested in writing? I think I made it clear last week that the president has nothing further on that. Hunter. Wait, 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 Sean. Does that mean that the president will deny the I, I think that I, I said I was very clear that we, the president would have nothing further on that last week. Describing a situation which the I, president I would defy the legislative branch's request. That's what I, you're I saying. Alexis, I, I made it clear what the president's position is on that issue. Why won't you just explain whether or not there are recordings of president's I, I think the president's made it clear what his position is. That's not my question. Uh, this, I understand that because stupid. that's what the president's position stupid. is. And see, by the way, one of the sources, apparently, for this Washington Post report is coming courtesy of Eric Erickson, who's a right-wing guy, right? Eric Erickson, uh, who founded Red State, he says that he knows one of the sources, and he says the source on this, on this story about the classified information being handed over to the Russians was, a, was and is supportive of President Trump. I mean, that's an amazing thing. I mean, Hannity's portraying it as though it's just a bunch of people who want to see Trump go down. Maybe it's a bunch of people who want to see Trump do a better job. But it, whatever it is, Trump needs to do better than this. And I'm sorry to keep repeating the message, but there is so much potential. You have a White House run by a Republican. You have a Senate run by Republicans. You have a House run by Republicans. And nothing is happening at all. So that's a lot of bad Trump. I do have some good Trump coming up. But let's do, uh, we'll do some things I like in just one second. First, I want to say thank you. I want to say thank you to our friends over at Realty Shares. So if you haven't used Realty Shares yet, you really ought to. It's a great way of investing in real estate for people who have the money to invest in real estate, but you don't really have the time to go out and buy an apartment building yourself. Basically, the way Realty Shares works, R-E-A-L-T-Y, they demolish the walls between you and real estate investing. You don't need billions, millions, or even tens of thousands of bucks to invest in vetted real estate assets. Hundreds of people invest fractionally 
reducing the cost of the initial investment. So you take $5,000 and you put it into a real estate investment instead of taking $50,000 and putting it into a real estate investment. And all of these real estate opportunities are curated by industry professionals so you don't actually have to source them yourselves. If you make $200,000 a year, you may qualify. You can go to realtyshares.com slash Ben to check it out, realtyshares.com slash Ben. When you use the slash Ben, you get a $100 credit toward your first investment. Again, they basically put up a list of real estate investments that you can take part in, and then they give you the opportunity to invest with them. Again, go to today to realtyshares.com, realty, R-E-A-L-T-Y, shares.com slash Ben for 100 bucks toward your first investment. As I said earlier in the program, it is vital that you get your investments in order because if you want to retire early, now is the time to do it. Realty Shares can help that happen. RealtyShares.com slash Ben. It is not an offering of securities. Private investors are highly liquid, risky, and are not suitable for all investors. Past performance not indicative of future results. Securities offered to accredited investors through North Capital Private Securities, member FINRA SIPC. Okay, so let's do some things that I like. So... Thing I like, number one, I'm doing some religious books this week. Uh, so C.S. Lewis has a great book called The Problem of Pain, all about why it is that people suffer when God is good. Uh, and it's a, it's a deep book. And what I love about C.S. Lewis's writing is that it's deep without being complex. You can, you can read it and you can understand it without having to be uh, a real sophisticate. The Problem of Pain is a great book all about what it is to suffer pain. And, and the whole premise is not that pain is good or that pain is okay or that pain is something that you don't have to suffer with. It's that a benevolent God could have a world with pain, and here is why. And he explains it in detail. I wouldn't want to spoil the argument for you because it really is sort of beautifully laid out. The Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis. Go and check it out today. Okay, other things that I like. Now, I do want to say something good about President Trump. Okay, I spent a lot of the program today talking about Trump not doing a particularly good job, but today, yesterday, he did something that was good, and this is the part that's so irritating. He does good things, guys. If he would stop doing the stupid, the bad things, then we could actually just celebrate the stuff that he's doing. So yesterday... He shined a blue light on the White House, which was great. He did it to honor fallen cops. Obama had refused to, you remember, do this. He also gave a speech about policing and why policing is vital. Here's what he had to say about social justice. It is time for all Americans from all parties and beliefs to join together in a simple goal to ensure that every child in America has the right to grow up in safety, security, and peace. True social justice means a future where every child in every neighborhood can play outside without fear, can walk home safely from school, and can live out the beautiful dreams that fill their heart. Okay, this is exactly true, and the fact that there are so many people on the, on the left who refuse to acknowledge that you need a safe environment in order to have good schools, in order to have investment in your community, is really ridiculous. Good for Trump. Trump has always been good on this issue. He was good in the campaign on this issue. We praised him during the campaign on this issue. Here's what he had to say about saying thank you to police officers. To all Americans watching this event today, next time you see a cop on the beat, take a moment to say two wonderful words, which they so readily deserve. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that's right. And I know that that's become passe to say we're supposed to say to the the cops, F you instead of thank you. But the fact is, they're the people keeping people safe. Now, this contrasts sharply with one of the things that I hate. So we'll do that. Let's do some things that I hate. Uh, the, the screaming banshee known as Joy Behar over on The View, uh, she says that Republicans clearly hate the poor. This is the line that the left has been using these days. I just want to say, there's a certain 
one segment of the society that's resentful of any poor child getting something for free. Mm -hmm. Those people need to look in the mirror. There are there's certain people in this country, they know who they are. Mm -hmm. They voted, a lot of them voted for Trump. Can I point something out? And there's a resentment involved. Can there. I point something out? Okay, so there is not a resentment of the poor. The fact is that what Trump is talking about with regard to the cops is one example of how Republicans want to help the poor. If Democrats were so all-fired great at helping the poor, why is it that many of the poorest inner cities in America, well, all of the poorest inner cities in America, are run by Democrats and have been for the last 50 or 60 years? But this is a self-flattering pose that's taken on by the left. We care about the poor, you don't, and the way we can tell is because we don't like your policies. That's absolute stupidity. Okay, now, uh, other things that I hate. Uh, so... This actually is, is something that, that I hate about the NBA. So I, I know it's a random shift of topic, but so what, my show. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, famous basketball player, Hall of Famer, uh, leading all-time scorer. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, one of the most underrated players in NBA history, he makes the case that kids should be able to go directly from high school to the NBA. And I think this is totally right, actually. You don't think players and coaches can have that kind of relationship that you two had back then, today? I don't think that that's possible now because uh, kids aren't going to, to college now to get an education. They're going to play basketball and move on to the NBA. When and so, so that that's basically what's happening, and it's rare to see some guys stay and uh, try to, to get their degrees. I was very impressed with the University of Wisconsin. Yeah. The guys exactly. stayed. They made a commitment to each other and to the school. And uh, they were in the NCAA finals two years in a row. I, I really admired what they achieved as students and as athletes. Okay, so he is, uh, you know, saying that, that all these kids are not capable of coaching because they're, they're going to college uh, to, to go direct to the NBA. He's, this isn't the point that Kareem's making, but it's a point that I've made frequently. I do think uh, that there is something nefarious uh, and uh, union-y about the fact that they don't allow players to jump direct from high school to the NBA anymore, that they force everybody to go to college uh, for a one-and-done or play overseas. I think it's really stupid. In baseball, you don't have this. In baseball, if, if somebody is drafted direct out of high school, it happens all the time. People want to play baseball. They should be able to play baseball. I think that it's ridiculous to have college kids, you know, kids going to college to play basketball at Kentucky so that they can go play in the NBA. They're obviously not there for the agriculture degree. I mean, they're, they're clearly there to play basketball, and it's really stupid that the NBA has prevented kids from jumping straight to the NBA. It's paternalistic and ridiculous. Uh, and there's a case to be made that it's racist, that in, that in the MLB, you're allowed to jump directly from the, the high school to the minor leagues, and no one seems to bat an eye. When it comes to NBA players, people are all upset because people are jumping high school to the NBA and not going to college. Again, I think that that's really dumb. If you want to jump to high school to the NBA, it's a free country. You should be allowed to do so. Okay, other things that I hate. Uh, somebody has decided that it is a good idea to make a romper for men. Um, this is, this is, they'll show you that Huffington Post has been pushing this. It's literally a onesie for dudes. I don't know who would want to wear this, but the, it's called the Romp Him. Okay, it's a Kickstarter project that wants to sell rompers specifically designed to men. They look like regular rompers, but these have zippers in the front. Men want the glory of wearing rompers without dealing with the special hell that women go through whenever they wear them and have to get completely naked whenever they go to the bathroom. There's a picture of these guys wearing rompers at the Kentucky Derby. I don't, okay, my, my one-year-old child wears rompers, okay? I don't think that grown men should be wearing these things, but I guess that we are now invested in treating grown men like children, just the stupidest thing ever. Uh, and uh, it definitely looks uncomfortable as well. So, I mean, besides being really stupid, it also looks deeply uncomfortable. So there's that, too. Okay, you know what? Let's, let's take some time and deconstruct the culture today. So 
it looks like uh, on the cultural front, uh, we are we're talking about um, on the cultural front. Uh, we always deconstruct a song, or very often we deconstruct a song. We look at some of the lyrics that your kids are listening to, you may be listening to, and we deconstruct them to see what exactly the culture is promulgating because it's easy to hum the tunes to yourself without acknowledging that there's a certain amount of content that you are also imbibing along with the fun. I also want to talk about Hollywood's desperation to reboot every series in creation. Apparently they just greenlit a reboot of Roseanne, okay, which went off the air in the 90s. I'm old enough to remember when Roseanne was on the air originally. It hasn't been that long. I assume there are some people in Hollywood who still want to write shows, but the way that you're going to get people to watch shows is not through reboots. Another show they're rebooting now is Will and Grace. Will and Grace was always one of the most overrated shows in the history of TV. It never ranked in the top 10 on, on national television. Uh, it rarely ranked in the top 30 on national television. Uh, and yet it was treated by the media with all sorts of love because it was about gay dudes. And so that meant that it was special. So now they're bringing it back, even though there was not widespread demand to, to, for it to be brought back. It will fail. It'll be off the air, my prediction, within at, at most two seasons. They may hold it over a season just because they have made an investment here, but it's not going to be good. Here is the reboot trailer. Anyway, what's crack-a-lacking, kid? This one's afraid to do the show again. What show? That's what I said. I think he thinks we're doing some kind of a show. Why would he think we're doing a show? <laughs> I can't. What's the problem? What's stopping you? I'm scared, okay? I'm scared. I don't know why I'm frightened I know my way around here The brooding guy The drunk who's by The tightly wound queen Yes, a world to rediscover In our sitcom-sized apartment We could never Anonymous liaisons With tall guys and with shorties Still need that thrill And one blue pill Cause now I'm in my forties Still love Okay, this is horrifying. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why in the world they would do this. Uh, it, it was not that great a show originally, and now it's a bunch of 80-year-old people uh, who are doing this. Also, it's a different world. So back when this show was originally on, the whole gay vibe of the thing was really transgressive. Now there's not a show on television that doesn't have a major gay character. Everybody assumes that a show is going to have a major gay character because they're all run by the Gay and Lesbian Alliance against defamation before they are screened and aired. So the, the idea that this is going to have ratings is just silly. Okay. Uh, final, okay, we'll do one quick Deconstructing the Culture. Uh, Julia Michaels has a song called Issues that is surging up the charts. Um, I want to deconstruct the lyrics a little bit. Uh, so here is a little bit of Julia Michaels' Issues. Hey, look, a picture of a bed in a, in a music video. I've never seen that before. Okay. I'm jealous. I'm overzealous When I'm down, I get real down When I'm high, I don't come down I get angry Baby, believe me I can love you just like that And I can leave you just as fast But you don't Judge me Cause if you did, baby I'd judge you too No, you don't Judge me Cause if you did, baby Cause I got issues, but you got them too So give them all to me 
Okay, so this is um, this is comes from the school of thought that says that emoting when you sing is, is more important than actually being able to project when you sing. So very very interesting. The, the lyrics are basically from somebody. She sounds like she's bipolar, right? I'm jealous. I'm overzealous. When I'm down, I get real down. When I'm high, I don't come down. I get angry, baby. Believe me, I could love you just like that, and I could leave you just as fast. But you don't judge me because if you did, baby, I would judge you too. Okay, so the idea here is that these two people are somehow going to iron out each other's each other's mental problems, that you've got a couple of people who have bipolar disorder or manic depression and that they are and that they are going to be compatible because of all of this. Maybe the issues that you have you should solve before you get in a relationship. Okay, this is basic life advice for everybody, and it's one of the reasons why I hate all the teenage angsty crap that you see in these music videos. It's like I have such issues. I have such angst, but you're going to solve all my issues. Okay, the only issue that really gets solved by marriage or a relationship is loneliness. Okay, that's the only one that actually gets solved, but all your other issues do not actually get solved by a relationship. It is up to you to solve your own issues, and if you don't solve your own issues, you're going to end up with a bad relationship with someone else who has issues, because like tends to meet like. You know, Andrew Clavin says many silly things, but one thing he says that is smart is he says that if you are always worried, always worried about why you can't find Mr. Right, maybe it's because you're not Miss Right yet. You're not Mrs. Right yet, and the same holds true, vice versa. Fix your own issues, then worry about getting in a relationship, not the other way around. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First, Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So, I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 